Good morning and a warm welcome to you all to Ladywell Baptist Church and to our service of worship at the beginning of this new week. As we come to the beginning of our time together, a couple of items of church news for you. Uh, we have two meetings over each week on Monday and on Wednesday evenings, half past seven for both, on Zoom for both. And uh, on Monday evenings, we have a chance to be together for a drop-in cafe. No agenda, just a chance to be together and to spend some time uh, seeing one another, talking with one another. And on Wednesday evenings, we have our prayer meeting and Bible study. We're working through Matthew's Gospel, and I would encourage you to be along to that. It's a great chance to be together and pray for one another, the fellowship, and the wider world. And we've seen a good number of folks at both of these meetings uh, each week. So if you want to connect to those, then please get in touch with myself or one of our deacons, uh, either via the church Facebook page or directly through phone, text, or email, and we can get you the login details and connect you to either of those two meetings. Also an item of church family news, we were saddened to hear of the death of Estelle Buchanan over this past week, and the funeral service will be this coming week. And if you would like the information, the details for that, then please do get in touch. Unfortunately, as a fellowship, we won't be able to gather together and to give thanks to God for her life as we would wish to. It really will only be for family. And I know a number of you would like to spend some time in prayer during the time the funeral's on. And so if you'd like to know the details, then get in touch and we can connect you up. Uh, with that so you're able to support uh, Estelle's family and to give thanks to God for a woman who's been a very faithful member uh, of our church over the years has served very very faithfully and I know you would want to give thanks to God for her life so that will be this coming week and if you want to connect in with us we can get you the details for that as we come to worship this morning and we think on Genesis chapters 13 and 14 and think about what it is to live faithfully in a very unfaithful, in an adulterous world, then we hear these words to, to frame our time of worship in Romans chapter 5 where we read, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's great to hear of all that God has done for us to give us this gift of faith that we have and so are able to worship God together this morning. And as we hear about this faith, there is a clear expectation that we would continue in it in faithfulness day by day. And that's exactly what we're going to dwell on in our service, uh, in our time together this morning. So let's come together in prayer and ask that God would, uh, would draw us into this time of worship and would bless us in this time as a family all together. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning as your people. Lord, as a people who have been gathered in faith, by faith, through this free gift that has come from you, a gift of grace. And Lord God, as we thank you for the faith that we have been given that enables us to know you, to be your family and family with one another, we ask, Lord, that you would bless us in this time. Father, that you would forgive us for this past week where we have failed you, 
where we have fallen, Lord, back into sinful ways and thoughts. And Lord, we ask that you would forgive us and set our feet back on the right path, Lord, that we would consider living for you faithfully, our top priority in this time together, but in this coming week. Lord God, we pray for one another and we pray for all those who aren't able to connect in with us in this way. Lord, bless them with a knowledge of your presence. Lord, may they know that they are one with us, even though they might not be able to join with us together in our time this morning. And Lord God, we pray for our time as we gather before your word. Lord, humble us, commit us to living faithfully as you build us up and equip us in this time together. And Lord, we ask it all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. The reading comes from Genesis chapter 14, verses 8 of 24. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out, and they joined battle in the valley of Sidim, with Kedoleomah, the king of Elam, Tidal, the king of Goyim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Alasa, four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all their provisions, and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions, and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and Ana. These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them, and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions, and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions, and the women, and the people. After his return from the defeat of Kedeloyoma, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, by God Most High, possessor of the heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten, and the share of the men who went with me. Let Ana, Eshkel, and Mamre take their share. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and we are just so thankful for your great goodness to us, and all and everything you do for us and have given us and we just like to say thanks and father as we come to you now we come 
not just with hearts full of thanks, but we come to praise your wonderful name. We come to praise the name of Jesus. And Father, as we come today, we just come in difficult times and we, we just ask that you might be with everyone who's confined to home, who's having to isolate, people who can't get out at all. And Father, I just ask that especially uh, you might be with the, all the people who are alone just now at home. Let them realise that they are not alone if they have you as Lord and Saviour, that you are there uh, with them. You are there to bless them and guide them and comfort them. And just be with everyone, especially Father, at the, these times when we are unable to meet together. But we give thanks for internet and the way that you have made things available that we can meet together in a virtual meeting and come together to worship and praise your name and to hear and to read your word together. Father, we want to bring before you those in the fellowship who especially need our prayers just now. And Father, we would remember Estelle's family, especially today, Jenny and Dee and their families. And, and Father, just pray that you'll be a comfort to them, be with them, be very close to them and reassure them that their mum is in a much better place today. And Father, for any others in the fellowship who might just be feeling a bit lonely today, feeling that they have no one, we pray that you might reassure everyone, Father, that they are only at the end of a telephone line and that they might be able to call, speak to someone and just have some reassurance that someone is there to hear them. So, Father, we just give thanks for today, for the weather that we've been having these past few weeks. It's been so good. And, Father, we just ask that you continue to bless us as individuals, as families, for we ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's very interesting to see that in the news over this last uh, few days, the government is clearly feeling the pressure to ease the lockdown, to move out of this process of isolation, to get businesses started again, people back to work and society back to uh, some semblance of normality. And what's been interesting is the advice that's been given has been, you need to keep listening and following the advice that we're giving. There's clear concern on both the Westminster and Scottish government's part that as lockdown begins to ease, people will just forget everything they've been told and go back to the old way of life they had before with no concerns whatsoever for the spread of coronavirus that that will result in. And the advice from the government has been, if you just faithfully follow the rules that we have given you, then everything will work itself out in due time. You just need to be patient. You just need to be faithful. 
and everything will be fine. And what's interesting for me, and possibly for you as you've uh, heard this advice coming day by day and week by week, is that it's similar advice to what we hear from Scripture. There's an expectation that we will live faithfully before God. God has written, has prescribed a certain way of living that if we will live in this way, then we will have life with him, fellowship with him. And we find as we come from the Old Testament into the New, our entryway into that life is through his Savior. And we've been considering this a lot in Genesis, this Savior who will come, the the ultimate grandchild of Adam and Eve, who will come to save a sinful people, transfer them into God's kingdom, and then enable them to know God and love him for the rest of eternity. And as we are saved, as we are transformed by Jesus, who is this savior, we find he sets down a way of life that if we want to be his followers, we need to live in this way. And if we do, our lives will be blessed and whole, and we will be able to glorify God. In a way, there is a similarity between the two. We are told again and again, we are admonished. You must live faithfully. And if you live in this way, in line with these guidelines, then your lives will be um, able to, to work themselves out in a way that is satisfactory, in a way that will lead to the best possible conclusion. And as we come to our passage this morning in Genesis chapters 13 and 14, we find faithfulness described in a way that is very helpful for us. I think we would all admit as Christians that we struggle to live faithfully. We, we see it all around us in the church and it's easy for us to finger point and see others we identify as not living faithfully. But actually, if we're honest, we recognize in our own lives, we struggle so hard. We know how we ought to live. We read in God's word every day how we ought to live, but we just find it so hard to actually do it. And our passage this morning is helpful in laying out for us what faithfulness is and how we're able to be faithful as a Christian people. And as we come to chapters 13 and 14, we find first that faithfulness means separation from the world. Whatever else we we look like as a Christian people, we come here first. In the first um, chapter uh, in Genesis 13 of our section, we find Abraham and Lot leaving Egypt. We've had this interesting experience in Egypt where Abraham sought to cover up the fact that he's married to Sarah and Pharaoh has found out as God has afflicted uh, Egypt with plagues. And as Abraham is then cast out of Egypt by Pharaoh, desperate to get rid of this person who's brought this great blight to their land, as Moses relays this to Israel, it's very familiar for them. Um, we find Abraham and Lot coming to the um, the edge of the land of Canaan and recognizing that they're, they've grown too large. They are too wealthy to stay in the same place. They have too many flocks and too many shepherds and they need to go their separate ways. Such has been the blessing of God upon their family. And Abraham says to Lot, you look over the land and take your pick. You tell me where you want to go. And you can have that land and I'll go somewhere else. I will live elsewhere. So they divide and they go their separate ways. And it's interesting in the passage we read that Lot goes east. And as we've read in Genesis up to this point, there is a regular refrain refrain of going east as a almost as a picture of going away from God. You find that um, the direction of east tends to be away from what will ultimately be not just the promised land, but Jerusalem and a recognition that, that there is a sort of a moving away uh, from God. But Lot goes east into the most fertile region, the Jordan Valley, 
where the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are. And Abram goes um, up into the land of Canaan, which is far less fertile. And Lot gets bound up in the, the world around him and ends up being taken captive. We find he goes down to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, a very fertile and very profitable part of the land to live in. And as he lives there, he simply gets caught up in in the life of the culture of those places. He becomes one of them. And as part of the life of those cities, we find that kings, very wealthy, very powerful kings from the north come down and lay waste to the armies of the kings of these cities. And and just maybe a, a short point here, when we hear of all these kings, what they really are are rulers of cities and the areas immediately around those places. By the standards of um, the pharaoh of Egypt, for example, they are tiny and relatively poor uh, kings. These are small city-states. And so when we read about these five kings battling against these four kings, we're not thinking of vast legions of soldiers, but hundreds, thousands of soldiers gathering together to to wage war with one another. And as was often the way, kings would come, band together, um, strengthen numbers, they would lay waste to a number of cities and then plunder them and then go back home again at the end. There was no desire to be the king of another city far away. Your power simply couldn't extend that far. So they would capture a city, take all of its wealth, carry off many of its people into slavery and then go back home again. And this is what we see here. And Lot is carried along uh, with all of this uh, uh, goings on, all all of this conflict that is happening in the land at the time. And Abraham, when he hears, when someone comes uh, and tells him that the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and the southern cities have fallen and Lot has been taken captive, Abraham gathers his men around him and pursues. And what we find very interestingly is not just that Abraham has been completely free from all of the turmoil that's gone on. He didn't even know it had happened. But we find that such is his wealth, such is the blessing of the Lord upon him. He actually has his own little private army and it's powerful enough to pursue these rich and powerful kings from the north and to drive them out of the land and actually to wrest back from them much of the provisions that they had taken from the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham lives in the world, but he's completely separated out from it. He hears and sees what is going on, but he isn't a part of what has gone on, unlike Lot. And so he intervenes and rescues Lot and his family. He takes these 318 men to fight off these four kings. And again, the Lord sees Abraham's enemies defeated. Abraham is, is faithfully upheld by the Lord through a very risky time to leave his home uh, and to pursue these kings. And yet the Lord sees him through. And I think it's interesting to note our place in the world here. It's something we see carried all the way through the Old Testament, a repeated refrain by God to his people to be separate from the world. The word is holiness, to be holy, set apart for God and not to be just like everyone else. Because where everyone else is, we find problems quickly follow on. And that's exactly what we see here between Abraham and Lot. And it's what we see in Jesus' life and his ministry where he calls his people to follow after him, to take up their cross daily, to die to the ways of the world and follow after Jesus. 
It's what we find Paul admonishing us to do in the epistles. He constantly comes back to the disciples of Jesus and says, you are not to live the way the world lives. That is not wisdom. It's foolishness. The way of Christ might seem foolish to the world, and yet it is true wisdom. It is the way that you can live if you are one of his uh, own brothers and sisters. And our place in the world, we find, is ultimately to be apart from it. While we don't get involved in the things of our culture, the things that our culture says are good and right, that aren't big things perhaps, we, we find they swirl around us and we might intervene to ensure that justice is done, but we take no part in them. And make no mistake, this way of life is hard. It is a sacrifice. Many of the things of our world are considered great blessings when we look at all the entertainment that is around us. And when we recognize much of the entertainment is not God-honoring, in fact, is the very opposite of that, is insulting to God and his ways, we must question our part in it if we are uh, taking in, participating in uh, the world's entertainment, whether it's television or cinema or what we read in magazines and newspapers, what we take in through the internet, whether it's the places that we go and the kind of behavior that we indulge in in those places, we must ask, is this honoring to the Lord? And if it isn't, however enjoyable it may be, however much our world says it's a good thing and and have your fill of it, we must set ourselves apart. Because in the end, we have a world that is actually pitted against God if it does not know him and love him. The Bible is very black and white in those regards. We can't use the means of the world to fight God's battles either. So we can't take those things that are not honoring to God and use them somehow in our lives to bless and honor the Lord and bless and honor those around us for all that we might think we can. The Lord's battles don't rely on the resources of the world to accomplish his goals. True faithfulness isn't taking the things of the world and using them to to bless God. It's taking the provision God gives us, God blesses us with and using it for his glory. True faithfulness seems to the world like stupidity. We're denying ourselves things that are perfectly fine for the sake of God, a God that we can't see. But true faithfulness isn't foolishness. It's a trust that God will do as he has said in his word, and that he expects us to act act in accordance with that, and so be blessed as a result. So true faithfulness means at the very foundation level being separate from the world as it would act, as it would behave, as it would see things around it. Secondly, we find that faithfulness, true faithfulness means sometimes taking great risks. We find Abraham risked losing everything. He takes all of these armed men from his camp, from his household, and pursuing these four kings, risking losing everything for the sake of getting Lot back. And we find that Abraham is constantly putting his own future in the balance to ensure that God's work was carried out, that that God's 
family was cared for, was provided for, that God's worship was placed higher than anything else. And what we find here is that he again and again lays his own life and household on the line to that end. We know that Abraham's future holds a great many blessings, but he doesn't know how that will be worked out. He doesn't know that Jesus will ultimately come, exactly how it will all work out all the way through Israel's history, down to the coming of the Lord and then his death and resurrection and so on. He simply knows that God will work out his plans and his purposes. And so he lays it all on the line, knowing that God will carry him through. And as we come to consider our place, we have to ask, are we prepared to risk much in order to be faithful to God? Quite often in Christian circles, the expectation is that faithfulness means being very careful. And sometimes that is right. It's right for us to be careful about the the blessings that God has given, to use them wisely, to use them in a careful manner so that they um, are not frivolously spent, whether we're talking about money or physical resources or people that come and want to serve as part of our fellowship. But sometimes we are called to take risks, humanly speaking, to, to lay everything on the line for the sake of pursuing God, even if it means risking losing everything. Now, we live in a world today which has remarkable freedom. But if we were to live in a part of the world where to be a Christian meant having all of our uh, money taken away or having our building confiscated or being told that we're not allowed to meet together, would we be willing to take the risk of continuing to be Christian disciples, blessing one another, gathering to worship? Would we take that risk if it meant potentially losing everything? Or would we simply... um, toe the line that some um, nefarious government or police force or army or whatever it might be says that we must if we want to continue? Would we take that risk if it meant losing our homes or if it meant being taxed at triple the amount that everybody else was? Sometimes we're called to be faithful even when it means laying everything on the line because all that we have been given comes from God first and foremost. And if we are to be faithful with him, first and foremost, even if everything is taken away from us, he will continue to provide for us. Do we risk being rejected by people that we esteem or rely on for the sake of being faithful and witnessing gently, perhaps, but faithfully to the faith that we have? Are we willing to risk failing in some ministry but learning from it and this is a great challenge to me and to our deacons and to anyone who's involved in uh, running a a ministry or organization in our church or, or in any church are we willing to say at some point this ministry hasn't succeeded and draw it to an end rather than saying faithfulness is just doggedly uh, continuing every week regardless of how clear it is that it's failed. Are we willing to let some ministries fail and learn from them and grow as a result? Are we willing to sacrifice our pride? Is really what we're asking here. Are we willing to risk not knowing how everything is going to work out, but trusting the Lord anyway? Personally, when it comes to our individual walk with the Lord, our individual health, 
We sometimes default to the idea God always wants us to be healthy and whole and have enough money to pay all our bills and and to own our own home and our own car and so on. But that simply isn't the case. It's not always God's will for us to have that kind of life. And so are we willing to risk knowing that tomorrow we might lose everything? Or are we always going to play it safe? hedge our bets, not be willing to sacrifice for the sake of the church or for the ministries that God has placed before us, to sacrifice for our brothers and sisters who don't have enough and we have plenty and we're willing to give to them out of our abundance. Or will we hold back because tomorrow I might not have enough and so I need to keep these things for myself. I've been so encouraged over past weeks to see how incredibly generous people have been to the community fridge. And uh, to see just how much food and money has been set aside by people for the blessing of others who don't have enough. Are we willing to take that risk beyond lockdown and to live in faithfulness? Because this is what faithfulness looks like. Are we willing to risk relying on God financially instead of our own ability? Again, not being foolish and just giving up our work and saying, well, the Lord will just provide a big bag of money every morning on my doorstep if he wills me to to have it. Not saying that, but relying on the Lord, especially in these uncertain times when it may be that our job security is looking pretty wobbly. Lockdown has meant that maybe our company won't exist Uh, come the end of this or they won't be taking back all the workers that they once had because times are hard and money is tight are we willing to rely that the Lord will carry us through or are we willing to compromise on our faith to endear ourselves with our boss or with our company to compromise perhaps on on coming to to worship week by week for the sake of um for the sake of work for the sake of um having enough money and, and so on are we willing to risk All of that for the sake of walking faithfully before the Lord. It's a big ask. And it's a question I think we ought to ask, even though it is very difficult for us to be challenged in that way. Because faithfulness means following the Lord wherever he takes us. Sometimes that means taking great risks. And lastly, we find faithfulness may mean coming back again and again to Christ. Sometimes even when we feel we can't or we don't want to. It may seem strange for me to to say those words. Why would we ever not come back to Christ? And yet I suspect you have known times in your life as I have in mine where we have failed perhaps for the the millionth time and we simply cannot feel um, ready to, to come into Christ's presence. How can he ever hear me asking for forgiveness again? I simply cannot be a Christian. And yet this is This is exactly the opposite of what we're to believe. Faithfulness means coming back again and again and again to Christ. As we come into chapter 14, we have this account of this battle where Lot is carried away and yet Abraham doggedly pursues his enemies and captures Lot back. And as he returns, we have this strange little encounter that Moses drops into the passage that that in many ways, as a, a history of what Abraham did in his life, We wouldn't notice it if it wasn't there, and yet there is great significance to it. At the end of chapter 14, we have Abraham returning victorious and coming across the king of Sodom, but then finding the king of Salem, Melchizedek, coming out and meeting with him. 
Now, Melchizedek features a number of times in Scripture. We hear more about him. David mentions him in Psalm 110. The writer of Hebrews particularly mentions uh, the king of Salem millennia later from chapter 5 through to 7. And I would encourage you to read Hebrews 5 through 7 to hear more about Melchizedek. But the way the passage is written, it indicates Moses wants us to read about Abram meeting the king of Sodom and Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and for us to hold these two meetings in parallel and contrast them. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, which is realistically is is most likely Jerusalem. uh, We find his name, Melchizedek, means the king of righteousness and Salem means peace. It's where the word shalom comes from in Hebrew. So we find that he is the king of peace and the king of righteousness comes to meet with Abraham and we know nothing about him. He's just dropped into history at this point. We don't know where he uh, comes from in terms of his family, whose family he's connected to. And we've just read a whole bunch of genealogical lists that have talked all about where everybody comes from. But we have no history. We don't know his people. We don't know much about his city other than um, he is the king of a city called Salem. He has no children that we're aware of. All we know is that he is highly unusual because he's a king, but he's also a priest. And that virtually never happens in scripture where you have a king and a priest. You can be one or the other, but not even David is both. And David comes to be the king of that same city uh, many centuries later. But we find that he is not just a priest, but a priest of God most high. And I think we're to understand that as the God of Abraham. He recognizes they worship the same God, which is why he comes out with wine and with bread and they eat together. They share in fellowship because they worship the same God together. And it's not unrealistic for us to think that that would be the case. If we spend any time reading the genealogical lists in Genesis, we understand that some individuals, Shem, Noah's son, for example, is still alive at this time. In fact, Shem will live right up to the point uh, where Jacob is born, and they will live for a number of decades at the same time. The long lives of these early people in Genesis mean that it's entirely likely that Abraham, Melchizedek would have access to people who lived like Shem before the flood, who may even have known, if not Adam, then some of Adam's immediate children. And so we have the king of Salem coming and worshipping the same God of Abraham. He is someone who comes and they share fellowship. And yet we find Abraham, this great patriarch, this great figure in Moses' family history, as Moses tells the people of Israel about this encounter, giving a tithe, giving a tenth of all the vast wealth he has to this king. Now, that means that Abraham reckons Melchizedek as a greater individual than he is. This is the way of of Jewish thinking, particularly that your ancestors stand in greater position than those who come after them. But here we have Abraham offering a tithe, offering this gift to this other individual, someone greater than Abraham. And so 
we find he lifts Melchizedek up to this position of great esteem and worth. Then we find, in contrast, Abraham encounters the king of Sodom. And and as they meet together, the king of Sodom wants to give Abraham a great blessing, a great gift. Give me the people that have been carried away, but keep all the wealth, all the possessions that you've gathered. Sodom reckons on Abraham as standing in this great position of power and almost authority over him. And so, in holding the two in contrast, we see just how much esteem Abraham has for Melchizedek. And so we find Melchizedek, written about later in Scripture, is most definitely held in this position of greater authority. We find both David and the writer of Hebrews recognizing that Abraham uh, meets with this king priest who is not like the children of Aaron, a a Levitical priest. He is an even greater priest, a superior type of priest to anything Israel has ever or will ever know. And so we find the writer of Hebrews drawing this parallel with Jesus, that Jesus is not a priest like the family of Aaron, that Jesus is a priest according to the kind of Melchizedek, someone far greater, of far greater worth and authority. We find he's more important than Abraham, which is Unusual in Jewish thought that you would have Abraham's ultimate grandchild being worth more than him. And yet this is exactly what the writer of Hebrews says. And just as Abraham meets with the king of Sodom and the king will speak to him, offering him riches, Abraham rejects it because he will receive only what the Lord will bless him with. He reserves himself ultimately, keeps himself holy ultimately for the Lord. Melchizedek feeds Abram and his people and blesses him and reminds him that he serves God most high. And so Abram lays everything else aside and commits himself doggedly to following God most high. And we know that Abram is blessed with far more than just gold or silver precisely because he remains faithful to the Lord and God uses him powerfully. We are called to remain faithful to God in an adulterous world by coming back to Christ, by reserving ourselves faithfully for him. And as we come to God's word, we find God's word doing what Melchizedek did, drawing us back again and again, pointing us back again and again to the right direction. Melchizedek reminds Abram, Stay focused on serving the the Lord, God Most High. God's word constantly reminds us, come back to the Lord again and again, regardless of how many times you've failed him, regardless of how lowly you feel you are, keep coming back to the Lord, to Christ. Hear his voice often. Receive forgiveness from him regularly. Be blessed by him and equipped by him and built up by him constantly. It's not enough to gather once on a Sunday and once on a Wednesday evening and that be it for your spiritual life. Come back constantly to the Savior so that he will bless you and equip you. And in that faithfulness, you will find that your life is led in the right direction that you are blessed and equipped for every situation and circumstance, and you are able to go on. Unlike the Scottish government or the Westminster government, God's word never says, simply obey my commands and all will be well with you. Just trust me and obey. There is always an expectation that you will come in faith. The Scottish government doesn't care if you have faith in them. They just want you to do what they ask to preserve the safety of our nation. 
God comes to you and wants to enter into a relationship. And this is why God's word will always succeed where advice from a government or an organization will always ultimately fail. Because when we come in faith to God, in relationship with him, we have our reason for obeying his commands. Not just because he says so, but because he loves us and he laid down his own son's life to draw you into relationship with him in the first place. That you might know him and experience him, be satisfied and fulfilled in him and love him as he loves you. And so as he does that, come in faithfulness. Lay aside the things of this world. Follow in his way. Constantly come back to Christ as his savior. For when we do, we understand what faithfulness truly is. And we live in accordance with the faith we have been given. And we worship God. We bless each other. And we share our faith with the world that other sinners might be saved as we are. So I want to encourage you this morning to go and live in faithfulness. For the Lord has called you to it and provided all you need for it. Amen. And as we come to the end of our time together, I pray that you would go into this coming week knowing the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.